Welcome, Phoenix fans, to episode 23 of The Burning Bird. I'm Steve Leinert. I'll be doing the color commentary for the Phoenix on AUDL.TV once the season starts. I'm joined by my quarantine partner in crime, Alexander Shaggy Shraga. Shaggy, how you doing today, buddy? I'm doing awesome. I went fishing today, so, you know, it was you good fishing? Day. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know you were a fisherman, man. All right. You, went, you, have, a fisher, you have a fishing license? Uh, the three-year-old and the six-year-old that I went with have fishing licenses, and uh, I just kind of piggybacked off of them. That had to be a fun day. That's great. That's great, Shag. Yeah, that's a good Did day. Did you catch anything? No, I went with a three-year-old and a six-year-old. We didn't get close to catching anything. It was a lot of yelling at the creek and throwing rocks in it, you know. Well, that's, that can be fun, too. I normally do that when I fish. <laughs> I had a particularly good day, actually, Shag. Oh, nice. What'd you do? I I actually got through to one of my local liquor stores, and I was able to pick up some Captain Morgan, and that's been very difficult to do in Pennsylvania for about a month and a half. And the busy signals were ringing in my ears until finally my prayer was answered, and the phone rang, and they answered the phone, and I got my Captain Morgan. Oh wow! <laughs> so I got I've I've been enjoying my, my one of my favorite drinks, the Captain Morgan and Coke today. And I'm having a good day, Shag. I got I got through to the liquor store. I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> we are joined by Phoenix D-line cutter Nick DiGiorgio today. Nick, thanks for joining us. Hey, how's it going? Thank you for having me. As you can tell, I'm doing great. Have, <laughs> have you tried to order liquor online or, or over the phone in Pennsylvania recently? I have not, but I, I know that it has just been recently allowed. Me and my uh, family, don't tell anyone, we've been sneaking over to Delaware trying to get liquor from over there when we can. Now, they <laughs> now they scared me from doing that there, Nick. It, it almost seemed like the Delaware State Troopers set up a line on the Pennsylvania border and were checking pen, for Pennsylvania tags going in and out. Going all, otherwise, I would have taken a ride down the Total Wine weeks ago. And instead, <laughs> I, instead I waited for Pennsylvania to open it back up. Yeah, it was a little bit risky, but uh, we somehow made it out. It feels like prohibition has been lifted here in the <laughs> household. I'm just going to say that. Uh, you know what I mean? It's happy days are here again, Shay. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> now, you can get, now you can get some rum. There you go, man. Rum makes everything better, Shay. Rum makes everything better. So, Nick, uh, you played seven games with the uh, Phoenix in 2018. Yep. Is that right? Yes, I did, yeah. All right, and you missed all of 2019, and you came back for the 2020 season. What was it that made you want to come back to the Phoenix this particular year, and what's the biggest difference between the 2018 and the 2020 version that you've seen thus far? Well, uh Wanted to come back this year. I just really enjoyed playing with the guys. Phoenix has a great group of fellows that play. Um, and I just really enjoy the AUDL vibe, having the crowd there, uh, knowing that each game, uh, week to week, you know, really matters in your, your final playoff push. Um, so I just really enjoyed the atmosphere of the AUDL, uh, which made me want to come back so much. One of the biggest differences I feel uh, from 2018 uh, coming into the practices this year uh, was that I'm no longer a rookie. I now know a lot of the guys. Uh, I've been around them for the past, you know, two or three years now, and I've really grown some friendships with them. Uh, whereas in 2018, I, I knew I was a younger guy, um, didn't really have too many friends on the team yet, and I felt as if I was consistently trying to prove myself at every practice. You 
ended up playing for Patrol in 2018, and then you suffered a terrible ACL injury. Now, did you have a cadaver tendon, or did they use part of your patella to uh, reestablish your ACL? Uh, they actually used uh, part of my hamstring, uh, Dr. Zagonis, oh. at yeah, UPenn oh. Hospital. Yeah, he took part of my hamstring and just gave me a new ACL. Yeah, when I had my ACL surgery back in 1998, they uh, they took one-third of my patellar tendon off, and I can't tell you that my knee's ever been the same. Ah, yeah, that's no good. Know, no, it was no good. I mean, I was playing at a high level at the time, much like yourself. And then uh, to have the, I know what it's like to have time like that ripped out from under you. Uh, how tough was it to rehab alone? Uh, yeah, like, it was, it was like, challenging. Um, I, luckily, I have a great support staff around me with my family and friends, but... Right. Yeah. Yeah, that, I was gonna. I was gonna say mentally, it can wear on you. Uh yeah, certainly. It was. Um, I was leading into my second year captaining at Westchester. Uh, toured at regionals. Uh, I knew I was gonna miss my entire last uh, college season, so that really stunk, uh, to say the least. But just tried to stay there for my team as I could. Um, you know, tried to make it back in time for for regionals, sectionals. I knew it was gonna be, you know, a push. Um, but uh. Wasn't able to do that, um, but I still went to every practice uh, and tried to be a voice on the sideline to the best I could. How much were you able to grow by going to those practices without having the reward of being able to play? You know, I, I was le learning a lot. You know, um, standing on the sideline, I could see where our hiccups were uh, through the offense, through the defense. Um, I was able to pay attention to players more. Uh, specifically, I was able to watch them for two or three points in a row, then go out and give them pointers. Uh, here or there, um, whereas, you know, when I'm playing on the field, I can't really see all that. So it was good to get that different perspective, but definitely would have rather been playing. <laughs> now, we've talked a little bit before the podcast about your injury history. Um, mm -hmm. in, in 2016 with uh, Sub Club, you hurt your hand. In 2017, you uh, broke your wrist with Westchester. And in 2018, you tore your ACL with patrol. I mean, uh, this is a Carson Wentz like <laughs> like list of injuries. <laughs> it was definitely a struggle. Uh, so I kind of was on the sideline for a lot of practices. Um, so I was a little bit used to it, which is you know not the best thing to say. But uh, yeah, clap catch layouts. That's how I broke both my hands. So don't clap catch layout if you're listening out there. <laughs> oh, the, the, the young ones. Yeah. No one need to learn to do, do not do not clap catch layout. Unbelievably, <laughs> unbelievably bad things can happen. No, no question about that. But with all those injuries, I know for me personally, when I was coming back, it, it took me a couple practices and definitely a couple tournaments before I had confidence that I could make cuts off of my injured knee. To have confidence that I that other injuries that I had were that were healed. Did you do you find that you were having the same thing occur to you, or did you have confidence coming right out of the bat that your knee was good to go and you were ready to go full steam? I was full of confidence, to be honest with you. Uh, I felt like my top gear wasn't all the way there, but yeah, no, uh, making cuts and everything like that, my sharp movement and explosiveness, uh, I felt like it was it was there right when I came back into play. See, that's great. I'm sure that everybody likes to hear that. That had to be partly from your your physical therapist and your, your doctors instilling that confidence in you and you doing all the work in order to rehab. Do you feel like you, you put in a lot of work to get yourself back to where you are now? Oh, yeah. I, I totally worked my tail off uh, trying to do everything I could to, to get back into playing form. I, I missed it too much. 
uh, you know, it's, I really just love playing. I love competing. And regardless of injuries, ultimate's just something that I don't think I'm going to let go anytime soon. You started playing a uh, pickup in high school at Marple Newtown. Uh, you want to talk about that for a little bit? How did you first get get involved in Ultimate Frisbee and, and, and who drug you out to that first pickup game? I actually, in gym class, we, we played a, a version of Ultimate Frisbee. There was no really structure or anything like that, uh, no vert stacks or all the intrigue offenses that there are today. But, yeah, no, I just I had a history of playing Frisbee on the beach. Um, so when the disc went up in the air, I had a little bit of an advantage because I, I kind of knew how to read it already. Um, so I just loved it. I went up and attacked it every time and just sort of fell in love with it that way. And then you went on to Westchester and ended up running in the K-Dub for, of all people. <laughs> I mean, yes, how, I do. How, how, how has he influenced your career? Oh, to, he's certainly been the biggest influence. I can't say otherwise. He was my coach all five years at Westchester. Uh, I've definitely grown a, a special relationship with Kenny, um, and I'm really grateful for everything that he's taught me. And what what's it like to be his teammate now as opposed to being underneath of him? I mean, are you able to yell back at him now as opposed to uh, taking his guff a little bit when he was the coach? And, uh, and, and now you're able to kind of give it back a little bit when you're a teammate? Oh, certainly. Even during practices with Westchester, him and I would be jawing at each other a little bit. I know he was dominant in the air, uh, so I would always joke around saying I would sky him and then tell him I would break his ankles later. Um, but... No, it's it's fantastic being a teammate now because I know that he's worked so hard to to be that the player that he is today. Um, and like I said, he's been a real great influence uh, just on the team throughout. You know, now that he's one of the older guys, uh, anything that he has to say, I think a lot of people listen to. No, one of the older guys there, Nick. He's only five years older than you, man. Maybe take it easy with the older guys. <laughs> a little bit. I don't well, know. that's that's my job. That's my job to bust his chops. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope he's. I hope he's listening there. Um, so, so you uh, you leave Westchester and you play for Citywide when you're healthy in 2017. That helps springboard you to patrol in 2018, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, what yep. was it? What 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 was it like getting that experience on Citywide? Uh, Citywide was fantastic. I really enjoyed my time there. All the guys there. Uh, Great group of fellas. Now a lot of them are playing on Phoenix this year, uh, so it's good to watch us all grow as players uh, and really take that next step in playing high-level ultimate. Now, how are you handling the quarantine and the workouts that the Phoenix have given you? I mean, uh, Ian Dietrich and Greg Martin have uh, have put out a, a workout that uh, some of the players have deemed to be pretty tough. Uh, <laughs> have, have you found it to be tough? And, and what's the what's the toughest part for you to uh, to get through in these workouts? Uh, yeah, no, there are definitely some challenging, some challenging workouts that they put out there. Some of the ISO lunge holds, all kinds of things I never heard before. Uh, trying to work, work those into my repertoire, um, have certainly, you know, put forward a little bit of a challenge, but, uh, I like to think that I've gotten my form down at this point. Uh, I'm starting to get into a groove with them. Yeah. Like what's a Russian twist, man? Like, I mean, what, <laughs> make, what makes it Russian? That's, that's uh, what I want Beats know. me. I, yeah. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> It's Maybe just it. a twist. It's nearly a twist with a medicine ball. Why is it a Russian twist? Yeah, perhaps a Russian was the first one to do it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> what does an AUDL season look like to Nick DiGiorgio going forward here? I mean, is it going to be a shortened season? Are they going to try to fit it all in? Is is, is there going to be conflicts with USAU? Uh, 
I mean, what is it, what are, what are you preparing for right now? Honestly, I haven't really thought about it too much. I've just been hopeful um, that we can potentially get one game in against uh, each rival in our division. Uh, that's what I would like. Uh, and then, you know, kind of just a win or lose type deal. Whoever's at the top at the end gets a shot at the playoffs, some sort of thing like that. Um, I really don't hope uh, that it's scrapped uh, in general and that there is no season because that wouldn't be too much fun. Um, but, yeah, no, any sort of – uh, ADL season where we get a couple games in uh, is an ideal season for me. Now, who do you, in the New Atlantic Division? Who do you? Who are you looking forward to playing the most? Everybody. I haven't played against any of them, uh, so I'm ready to you know test my test my will against them. Uh, other than DC, who I have played against, but uh, yeah, no, Pittsburgh, uh, Atlanta, Raleigh, Tampa. I want them all. <laughs> oh, that's that's awesome. Um, what if what if the Phoenix had a a, a and the AEDL decided to have a a, a weekend long uh, tournament uh, at the ah. side? Like, how do you think the Phoenix would fare, and and w- would you be in favor of of having such a tournament? That's an interesting thought. Um, I believe that a lot of the players have have played some sort of club type tournament uh, where you have had those those eight games in a weekend, uh, something like that. So I like to think that we would fare all right against the competition. Uh, particularly, I know that we have some incredible athletes on our team whose endurance is just absurd. Uh, so I would like to see them go up against some player at late game in the, the fourth game. But who knows? Uh, I think we would do all right. And I can't say I would never have confidence in us. You know, always got to instill confidence. No, absolutely. I mean, uh, but where do you think the Phoenix would make the semis? Do you think that they would – uh, Peter out in the quarters. Do you think they would win? Ah, uh, we would win. Come on now. All right. Well, I don't. Hey, hey, Nick. I gotta put you <laughs> on the spot here. I mean, it's hey, of course, of course. Listen, don't worry about us. We got our, we got ourselves ready. All right. I, I know you're keeping yourselves ready and 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 very <laughs> hopeful for for a season to start. I, 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 I'm really interested to know from you, Nick. I mean, you were around in 2018 before the new ownership came in. And now you're here in 2020. What is what does that progression look like to you? And how like what what is the biggest difference in your opinion between 2018 and 2020? Um, honestly, everyone's on top of their game. Uh, there's always emails going out. Uh, they're they're always relaying any information that they obtain to us. Uh, not that in 2018 it was a little bit slower, but um, it kind of was. But now uh, the new owners, uh, Jeff and Christina, have really taken a uh, a great step towards what I think is the right direction. Shaggy, what do you got there, my friend? Nick, you really missed 2019, your season, because of injury. And then now, you know, you're missing 2020 because of COVID. Do you feel particularly robbed? <laughs> no, I don't necessarily feel robbed. I mean, this is just something that's an uncontrollable. Uh, you know, like they say, the weather is, it's just an uncontrollable. You got to play through it in any way that you can. Uh, all I can say is that the next time I step back on the field with the Phoenix, I'm going to be uh, one hu- hungry mother. That's all. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of that, you sound more like a pro athlete, given some of these answers than anyone I've ever heard. Have you trained in that or that's just who you are? Uh, I think that's just who I am, to be honest with you. <laughs> Yeah, pro through and through. <laughs> I think I think Shaggy that the two of us have put him so at ease. It's just like we're talking at a bar right now. 
Nice. Yeah. That's the goal. You know, he's drinking his rum and cokes. So I have a nice beverage beside me. You know, we're just hanging oh. out. <laughs> Shaggy, Shaggy is missing out. <laughs> you think so? I may have partaken a couple uh, things today. Post fishing, obviously. Well, you, know, you can't go fishing without a good beverage. Uh, especially when you're hanging out with a three and a six year old shag, you definitely want to be imbibing at that particular point in time. Let me tell you, that's that's some that's some good judgment. Uh. <laughs> Nick, what do you think? When you get back, right? What is it that you are most looking forward to about the team or the players or the practices? You know, it'll be nice to to get back with my teammates. Uh, I haven't really seen them in a while. We've we've done our Zoom calls, uh, you know, been in touch with one another that way, staying involved in the group me. Um, but it'll be nice to see them. Uh, and honestly, I just I really miss playing, man. I have I haven't been able to uh, to throw that often. Um, so I've been getting out and throwing with a tree uh, while I can. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I just really miss playing. I haven't been able to be as uh, you know, active as I as I wish, besides doing the workouts. Um, but yeah, no, I just really want to step back onto the field again and continue to prove why we're why we're out there. Yeah, I bet. I mean, throwing with a tree is tough. You know, they tend to chew up your dick. <laughs> yeah, no, the the tree's pretty unforgiving, but um, <laughs> and your completion percentage sucks. <laughs> whole lot of drops on their end. Yeah, yeah I would argue. Right? <laughs> I don't know if it's not your fault at all there. The tree got wood for him. Uh, yeah, hit my hit my receiver in the hands. What more can I do, Coach? <laughs> and if you guys at the uh, – so are you at home right now during the whole quarantine? Yeah, I'm at home with my uh, my family here, yeah. Have the, the Georgios invented any sort of uh, fun COVID quarantine games to pass the time? Actually, we have. Uh, my sister was uh, the mastermind behind our quarantine game leaderboard. Um, she's, we have a, a whiteboard in our kitchen, uh, where she's drawn up, drawn up everyone's names. Um, and we each play a game, whether it be cards, Monopoly, sorry, anything that we can come up with. And whoever wins, they get a market tally. Uh, and at the end of this quarantine, who has the most tallies, uh, wins. Wow. How are you doing so far in this contest? Uh, you know, I try to stay humble, but, but I'm in the lead pretty, pretty, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Something tells me Mr. DiGiorgio is a little competitive. Uh, yeah, my my sisters will definitely agree with that one. <laughs> What's the uh, what would what was your first game when they were like, "This is what we're doing." You're like, "Okay, this is it's my choice. This is what I'm choosing to play." I don't remember. It might have been some sort of some form of cards, uh, maybe Crazy Eight, something like that. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, nothing, nothing too much where I ha- automatically have an edge. They don't allow me to play anything, uh, you know, that involves athleticism because uh, then they just claim it's unfair. <laughs> well, I hope you uh, keep up the lead. I mean, that's a pretty good thing to win, you know. Yeah, my my dad said he was going to give out some sort of prize. I don't know what it is yet, but uh, I'd like to win it. <laughs> Quarantine champion of the world. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I'm gonna be running up the art museum steps and holding my hands up like Rocky after we win. There you go. <laughs> wouldn't have it any other way. Of course not. <laughs> oh, I uh, I did some quick research too while we were doing the podcast, and they're called Russian Twists because the uh, USSR started doing them in the army with people. You know, you would hold a a person and twist them, and then ah. they switched over to medicine balls, and then you know they adopted it. No, not not like. Injured people, just, you know, regular people. 
I know, but what are you doing it with people for? Like, why? Come on. I think they probably thought it was funny. It's a good, like, <laughs> you know, you cradle them in your arms and rock them back and forth. But yes. you, you gotta, ah, that sounds horrible. <laughs> think, think about the Russian army and what you're cradling there, Shag. Not, not the most like cuddly figure you're gonna you're gonna cuddle. I'm rocking a bear to sleep looks like. <laughs> <laughs> Abs of iron, you know. <laughs> I don't know. All right, Shag. You got anything else, my friend? No, my uh, that was my stat, my Russian twist stat <laughs> of the week. Nice, the Shaggy stat of the week. <laughs> Love it. Keep them coming, Shag. Yeah. Just for you. For Alexander Shaggy Stragus, for Nick DiGiorgio, I'm Steve Leinert. Stay tuned, Phoenix fans. We'll be right back. When it comes to financing your home, you only want to work with the best. Ranked as the number one residential mortgage lender in Pennsylvania since 2016, Jeremy Durkin and his team of consultants at Trident Mortgage have been helping families with home finance for over 17 years. Visit jeremydurkin.tridentmortgage.com to get started and learn more from Jeremy and his team. Welcome back, Phoenix fans, to another segment of The Burning Bird. I'm Steve Leinert. I'm still here with Shaggy Tragus. Shaggy, thanks for coming back. Yep, happy to be back. You know, I, I was a little disappointed the other night. I ran out of my, I ran out of meatball shag. So that's how long the quarantine has gone on. Where I've gone through my first full batch of meatballs, and now I've had to sit there and resort to making a whole another batch because you don't know how long this is going to go on. I mean, there's certain things a guy needs when he's when he's going to be quarantined. You know, toilet paper, toothpaste, and meatballs. I finished the banana bread that we were talking about, so oh. it's pretty good. Yeah, cooked that. I hope that your meatballs turn out pretty well. I mean, they tend to, so, you know. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yes, uh, I'm happy that your banana bread turned out well. Thank you. Thank you. That was, that that was, that was Mama Shrega's recipe? Yes, that's right. Well done, Shag. I always, I always like it when a, uh, when a son can mimic his mom's cooking a little bit and make him feel a little bit more at home. Well, I'm glad that you like my ability to mimic my mom. <laughs> Joining us on this particular segment from the Philadelphia Phoenix is O-line handler Connor Boyle. Connor, thanks for coming on with us. Thanks so much for having me. Are you a big fan of meatballs, Connor? I, you know, I was listening to that uh, interaction and I was thinking to myself, I have not mass-produced meatballs for personal consumption, possibly ever. I've made them a few <laughs> times. My, there was a kind of like a family thing growing up. Even though I have a very Irish name, I'm actually quite Italian. And the technique, the thing that stands out in my mind from like my childhood memories, like flashing in front of my eyes is the, the technique is very much, you want to not press it too much into a ball because you want the texture to be, to like break apart when you actually chew it and not have it be super dense. And so you kind of just almost like a very light, like a snowball, like a very light pack, get the meat together. And, uh, but I have not, my grandmother and my mother are way better at it than me. So I'm not a regular meatball producer, but. I'm I'm interested to try yours if it's possible post quarantine. I'd love to give them a taste. Oh no, I, I, I should bring some to a Phoenix game for a post game hangout. I'll, I'll, I'll keep them I'll keep them warm in the crock pot. It'll be delicious. And that that was, great. that was one heck of a breakdown of a meatball there, Connor. I, if you can break down ultimate like you broke down that meatball situation, that's going to be good stuff. Uh, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> Steve, maybe you can start mailing your meatballs out one meatball at a time in envelopes. And like the envelopes will get a little wet and saucy after the trip, but then you can mail, mail them out to people. So I don't need a singular meatball in the mail. 
I don't I don't trust the mailman. What do you think they're going to open it and eat your meatballs? Yeah, they're going to smell it. They're going to eat it. They're going to they're going to naturally they're going to want to have the meatball. Oh man, that's a federal crime. You're saying your meatballs are worth uh, prison sentence? I I I wouldn't demand anything less, Shag. Okay, well you say so. (laughs) (laughs) So Connor, how many years have you been playing in, in the AUDL here? Just the two. Yeah, so this is my second year on the team. Uh, last year, I started the season out as a practice player, and then as the season went on, uh, saw some more on-field reps, uh, culminating with kind of the road games where uh, I got to start, and that was really exciting. How much more of a uh, advantage did you have at this combine than the previous one? Did you feel more at home in this at this particular combine? Yeah, definitely. I think that the the mentality at those big open tryouts, especially um, as a player, when you're trying to establish yourself kind of anew, is very much one of you want to be creative and take risks, but you are so concerned that your like sample size in the eyes of the coaches is so small that any mistake is just going to be like there's no idea how regular of a mistake that is. Because if if Mott shows up at those combines and his first three throws are turnovers, in the context of Mott's game in the eyes of the coaches, it's not that big of a deal. If I show up as an unknown entity and throw three turnovers to start to start my kind of tryout process, it's it's a big deal because that's 100% of the throws that I've thrown in front of the coaches. So I think that the first combine um, was definitely a different mentality than the one a few months ago. And a few months ago at the open combine, I actually I felt like when we were playing and scrimmaging that uh, my throws felt really dialed in, specifically my flick hook, and it was really satisfying to be able to kind of to hang with guys that I was kind of fighting to keep up with and kind of fighting for roster spots against um, last season. So it was, it was a satisfying combine experience uh, this year. Definitely. I can vouch for you there. I had a couple of check marks next to your name on the uh, throat section on the combine sheet. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> so you talk about fighting for your spot on the, on the team. How, how difficult was it last year to fight your way from the practice squad into the, into the starting rotation? I mean, it's uh, the mental, I guess, game in the sense that it, the season's long and practices are kind of, they, they, they happen every week. I mean, you, it's a question of kind of showing up as the first kind of skill, right? Is consistency, being dedicated to the cause of the team, doing the homework, um, doing the workouts. And I think that when you demonstrate consistency, I think that that gets reflected back in playing time from the coaches. And as the season went on, I think there was attrition in terms of rostered guys or kind of practice squad guys that saw less value in the Phoenix as an organization from their time perspective. And so they started kind of fading away. And as guys kind of have hot and cold weeks, you kind of just inch up and up and up. And eventually I think that a few good practice performances and kind of an even thinner roster meant that kind of the call up was, was imminent and then it came and it was a really satisfying as a player who's kind of, I don't know, always wanted to, to be at the next level, but never quite been there to then when you get called up in a big game to play well and kind of execute and deliver and kind of feel like it's feel it and, and to feel like you've been there. I think that that was really satisfying and was a unique experience for me in my career. Now you uh, had a particularly good game at Montreal last year. You had four assists. Could you take us back to that game? And was that your best game in the AUDL in your career so far? Yeah, up and up until that point. Now, I, I actually, the, my memory kind of that that weekend was very much a blur from a playing and a traveling perspective. It was was it Ottawa Saturday, Montreal Sunday? Is that correct? Yeah, the Ottawa game was on Saturday. The Montreal game was on Sunday. So the Ottawa game, the Ottawa game was Saturday, and that was kind of uh, 
the first time I was getting a lot of um, like was was basically starting every O point, and it was it ended up getting pretty windy that game. But that game was first assist was like first like game with two assists, and and I I started to kind of feel like I was in a groove in in the Ottawa game, and and then kind of built off that confidence uh, the following day in Montreal. But I think I had four assists against Ottawa, and then Montreal I feel like I had. The same, I think I had four assists, but they, they felt like much bigger and more consequential assists. Um, I felt like I was kind of dialed in, and I've watched the footage of that Montreal game, um, not I guess all the way through, but I've watched a lot of parts of it multiple times. And you definitely still kind of pick out things that you're like, I should be moving more in the, in the dumb space there, but not just being kind of flat-footed. And you pick out things that are are still useful to look forward, kind of from a development perspective, but from a throw perspective, that game, I think I was, I was pretty tuned in and, and it is, it is fun to watch those highlights or to see the Phoenix, see them on the Phoenix Instagram, or it's kind of, it's a very rewarding experience because I think that a lot of times in club or in college, you can have a great performance or you can have a, the culmination of a lot of hard work that you recognize and that your teammates recognize, but kind of, it then is just a memory. And in the context of a professional ultimate organization, they get kind of enshrined in these little like Instagram bits or they, we talk about them on podcasts. Like th- those, those things are, are unique and, and I've really enjoyed them. It says that you started playing ultimate and picking up in middle school. That's an early age to start playing ultimate. Yeah. It's funny. The, that, uh, that survey, when we were answering those questions, I, so I, I was in, um, I grew up outside of Philly. I went to public school until fifth grade and switched to a, a co-ed uh, private school in sixth grade. And they, and I had thrown a disc with my dad on the beach for years. And like, that was kind of all I could do was just laser beam backhands, basically at eye level, cutting through wind. Like that was what we just did. There was no field sense. He never played ultimate. Um, he couldn't throw a flick. I, so I couldn't throw a flick, but in middle school, we started uh, basically just doing co-ed um, pickup. And so it was shapeless ultimate. There's no stacks. There's no, it's not like a youth scene. It's just very much like we were playing ultimate in the way that you would play in a parking lot. Um, but it was on a field. Uh, we were in sneakers. Uh, there was a coach. It was, it, it, it felt organized in a sense, but I really didn't understand what ultimate even was until kind of later into high school when I started to kind of see clips online. I know the first clip that kind of caught my attention was um, if you Google Josh Zipperstein layout number one uh, is a, a club uh, play by a former guy. I think he went to Brown and then played a lot on, uh, I want to say that he's on chain in that video, but in any event, it's an unbelievable uh, D and then catch up bid by Zipperstein. And they, that started to kind of get my attention of like, Oh, ultimately I could play this in college. Like I could actually kind of could get better at this sport, but all through middle and high school, it was not organized. It was very much shapeless. Like we would just throw sky balls back and forth and there would be some flow, but there was never a stack. There was never a, not even sure there was a consistent mark to be honest. And so when I came to college, it was not, I did not have a lot of functional ultimate understanding to build off of. What I did have was the ability to pretty consistently throw flat flicks and backhands. Um, I, I did not, I could throw far. I could not throw hucks though because they were so low and fast. So I could definitely put a lot of power into a throw, but I definitely did not understand that it was like the shape that you needed to get it to a receiver. Yeah, that's what uh, it's funny. You, you talk about what it's like to play that disorganized style of ultimate. And it takes me back to my high school days where we had infinite end zones. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, one of, one of the, uh, one of the end zones was that the, the markers were two trees that were uh, like 50 yards apart from each other. 
and the uh, there uh, we played in high school. I went to Central High School in Philadelphia, and we would play on the North Lawn, and it had a gully running through the middle of it. But one of the more interesting aspects was it had about a five foot drop off in the end zone, uh, so that you'd be running, you'd be uh, trying to catch a disc for a goal. And then all of a sudden you just drop off five feet. <laughs> yeah, something like Edgley Seven. Yeah, I, I know the I know the exact experience. Yeah, it, it just made me think of that. It's uh, uh man, it's uh, those those were the days, huh, Connor? They were. I, I I will say though that that was the beginning of like kind of love for this like affinity for the sport is how low the startup cost is. You need only just objects to look at. Like you don't even need to bring like shoes in the worst case scenario. Trees work. You know what I mean? And the disc and people. There's no. Like whatever you can come as you are. It's not a, uh, a it's a it's incredibly low burden as a kind of um, logistical sport, and I think that that is uh, has always appealed to me because you can get meaningful reps just with the frisbee. You know, what I mean, there's not you don't need a lot else. You can get meaningful reps in your bedroom with just the frisbee, just throwing fakes or throwing like uh, just transferring grip. Like that was the thing that uh, Himalaya Meta, who uh, was my captain freshman year of college, he told us after a, in, a, in a huddle one day. He said, if you want to get better at throwing around the mark or breaking the mark or uh, just throwing fakes in general, just practice your grip in the mirror, practice throwing a fake in the mirror, practice transferring from a flick to a backhand in the mirror. And I, I remember listening to it and thinking to myself, like, am I going to go back to my dorm room, which I share with another person and do this right now? This feels like a, a, a bridge too far, but it ended up uh, being extremely helpful. And I, <laughs> I must confess that uh, I still find myself occasionally doing it, especially now that we're uh, work from home, kind of quarantine. And I'm, my office is in my bedroom, which is in the basement of my house. And I just need something to break up the day sometimes. And I have all these Frisbees lying around, obviously. And we'll kind of just, I don't know, you spin it on your finger, you, you throw fakes, like you kind of just get, get the motions down, um, especially like over the top motions, like hammers and scoopers kind of loosen the shoulders up. But I mean, <laughs> I'm not sure what your, your listenership is, but I do other things that are not just Frisbee that are not <laughs> super nerdy, like throwing a Frisbee in your bedroom with yourself. But uh, that is definitely a thing that I have found utility in. And you played a piano, is that correct? That is correct. I I, okay. I played it growing up. I I was self-taught, and then took some lessons, and now I'm back to kind of just being self-instructed and keyboard sitting right next to me right now. But um, yeah, a good way to pass time and a, a thing that I I want to dedicate more time and get better at. It's basically my failsafe for when um my ultimate career ends is I can start focusing a lot more time at piano. And uh, have you talked to Colin Messino? He's a he's a pianist as well. Yeah, he's Colin is uh, as much as I'm rooting for Colin on the scene, he's better at all the things I like to do than I am. Um, so I, I just I, I, I don't as much as I want to like engage with him and be like, hey, let's like swap tips. It's like he's already much faster than me. He can already jump much higher than me. <laughs> like at the moment he can learn to throw as far as me. Like I'm not sure we're going to talk anymore, to be honest with you. <laughs> all right, and, the, and you're uh, like you're, you're talking about your other interests. We're just you're uh, amateur photographer. You took all the pictures for the uh, Phoenix. Yeah, I uh, that was so when I was in college uh, at Penn, I studied e economics and I also minored in uh, photography, uh, technically fine art photography. And it was great because uh, the school had a lot of resources in terms of equipment and you could rent out stuff from effectively a library of equipment. And so even though I didn't have uh, nice gear, I could get nice gear from the school and take it out for three days and go uh, like, I don't know, shoot in uh, near the art museum or just kind of go around the city and produce content for classes. But so I, I now have one uh, decent camera that I, probably the nicest thing I own that I can use to shoot ultimate. I, I shoot landscape photography. I'm trying to get more back into portraiture, but uh, I have a website. Uh, it's my name hyphenated. It's just Connor hyphen boil.com. And I'm also 
starting to, uh, I've been plotting a return to Instagram, or really a, a, a beginning in Instagram. Uh, I know it's, everyone's on it. I don't know really why I am just, uh, I just lurk on, I have no content, but I'm, I'm going to start using that and uh, to both promote kind of, and, and get back out to do and shoot. So if someone wants to do a family portrait, for example, but uh, it's been a, it's been kind of a daunting task because I, I, I got left behind from a social media perspective with, when it comes to Instagram, I'm definitely not uh, up with the time. So that's forthcoming. Hey, that's my, that might be our first commercial there, Shag on the burning bird. That's not ultimate related. <laughs> Yeah, for Connor Boyle. <laughs> yeah. Connor Boyle Photography and Portraits. Yeah, yeah, I mean, possibly. That's, that's Connor-Boyle.com, dot, ladies and dot com. It is. And I, uh, some photos I, I haven't put on there, but I think I will soon, are, are from PADA Summer League Finals from this past year. So Brian Caniff, who is uh, a PADA regular, a very talented photographer, uh, works with Ulti Photos, he, uh, he was there and I think not shooting, but he is basically a guy that has been um, – instrumental in my understanding of like how to approach uh ultimate sports photography from a just in like a, a technical perspective like what kind of lenses and mentality you should be using and what kind of the, the real nuts and bolts and also kind of uh more abstract advice and he has been he's a friendly guy and i, I recommend he, he knows everyone in the ultimate community too because he's always at events but uh i, I want to give him a shout out because he is he's extremely useful to me well you were uh talking about how you went to penn and you did you play Void your very first year there? I did, yeah. I uh, under Himalaya Meta and uh, Tate Tabtiang, who is now up in Boston. Uh, they were the captains. We had no coach. Uh, we practiced at times on Hill Field, which is no longer exists uh, on Penn's campus. Um, but yeah, Void freshman year, and then um, ended up doing kind of various administrative roles and then captaining uh, when I was a senior. Um, I almost, Hemi tried to cut me, uh, from void my freshman year, uh, about midway through the year. He's like, what, it might make sense for you to go down to the B team, uh, because I had been injured and I had been, uh, I was dealing with stress fractures in my tibias, um, as a result of going from no sprinting to sprinting three times a week on turf. And I basically was like, I listen, like as much as I think I could probably get reps with them, I'm really getting a lot right now, just being at practice with you guys. And basically just talked him out of it. Like he sat me down, like basically explaining what his decision was. And I just kind of convinced him out of the decision, which from a player captain relationship perspective, I wouldn't necessarily advise, but I think that he ended up coming around to my perspective by the end of the conversation. So you, you played void all, all five years, all four. Yeah. I, I graduated in 2017. Um, did not take a fifth year because I did not have any school left to complete or money. And, but then kind of started advising the team a little bit. We have a, we had a coach at that point. Uh, we actually had a second, our second coach ever. Uh, we had Daryl Stanley for a bit. It was kind of his um, kind of, he had been an assistant coach of the Phoenix actually, but then uh, M Moeller pulled him out of obscurity for us and said, Hey, he should be a, he should be a coach for void. And like, we should look, look into him. Like we would love having a coach and he, he did a great job. He eventually went to DC. Dave bear now coaches uh, void full time this past, season uh james pollard uh john long and myself have been assistant coaches for void and uh before the season obviously ended unceremoniously uh because of the pandemic but yeah still involved with the program um still i also work at the university so i'm still very much on campus a lot haven't really gone away much to be honest but uh but yeah the void is great and the, the history of the team is really rich and the alumni base is really rich a couple of my uh best friends in the world uh played for void who specifically uh, Big Rick Atkins is a uh, yep. avid listener of the Burning Bird. He'll be listening to this, I'm sure. And uh, he played on the uh, 1985 National Championship Void team. Mm -hmm. um, I believe you, that was. I think the Void name came to uh, came into existence in 1983. 
1985 would have been the void. And then later on, before I went away to school to East Carolina to play for the Irates, I would go to Hillfield and I would practice with the void while I was playing for the uh, Philadelphia club teams. And uh, Steve Grants and uh, Jason Tomes are two of my uh, really great friends from uh, Central High. And they played for Void for a long time. I believe they were both captains at one point. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I got to know the guys a whole lot, and uh, they helped fan my flame. And uh, I have nothing but a lot of respect and a lot of good memories of the Void. I've actually got a quick Void alum story that I can I can get through fast. So that team, the '85 uh, championship team, is the one star on the Void shield. The one time we won nationals, uh, and I think the captain of that team, or certainly one of the best players, was. Um, uh, Paul Shields, who is David Shields and Emily Shields' dad, uh, he actually, I believe, met his wife, their mom, who was founded Venus at Penn. Uh, but in any event, uh, Paul Shields is um, is a legend in club ultimate and college ultimate. Uh, he he won multiple uh, championships in club with New York, New York. Um, he is still a very uh, talented thrower. And when he came to the alumni game to celebrate the uh, anniversary of that uh, championship win, which I kind of we helped coordinate that alumni weekend. <laughs> we played an alumni versus current team game, and Paul Shields was he wasn't particularly um, he wasn't like flying around the field. He was playing as a handler. He was not leaving the set much. He wasn't like going downfield and cutting a lot. But basically, from anywhere on the field he stood, he could complete a pass to anywhere else on the field. It was, and he did it with just an, an ease that I think is is really unique. Like when you look at someone like a really elite thrower, throw a huck and just does, they don't put any effort into it. It just, it just has the speed and the shape already. That was what it looked like. And I remember, I think he threw a, like a 45 or 55 yard breakside hammer assist from like the other sideline and just casually, just really casually. And we all were looking around like, like this guy can still absolutely ball. Like he is, <laughs> nothing has changed. <laughs> But uh, but yes, uh, th- th- there's a lot of alumni who are really interesting, really friendly, uh, willing to kind of come back, help out, uh, be in contact with young players. It, it's the, the that's the next that's the future, I think, for the team is is the future and the current is is really leveraging and uh, taking advantage of those those relationships because they've been really valuable already for me. Yeah, you were uh, featured in a uh, in the uh, both the uh, '85 team and uh, the 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 current the, well the, in 2015 the the 1985 team. This article came out called Then and Now on the uh, mm-hmm. from, from University of Pennsylvania. You were featured in that. Can you talk about that for a second? Yeah, the, they did an article in uh, USA Ultimate's magazine about uh, basically kind of looking forward and looking back um, at, at kind of historical teams. Uh, and they looked back at the 85 championship team and they kind of interviewed the current players. Uh, I was the president at the time and a sophomore notable about the interview is um, we were wearing a widely hated Jersey in the last like 10 years in Philly ultimate is the, the Domino's pizza box Jersey. It basically, it's the pen logo turned into a Jersey and you would think the pen logo is pretty straightforward. It's basic primary colors. It's relatively clean and crisp. And when we mocked it up, it we're like, oh, this looks great. And then when the game printed, it is it is like wearing a gigantic flag of someone who is trying to establish Domino's Pizza as a country. Uh, and it's just it makes no sense. Like the it, it is a you look at it and it's a it's a visual it's like an optical illusion almost. But so <laughs> thankfully, my debut in Ultimate uh, Sports Media was a gigantic cut out of me from ulti photos i do not even know how they found the photo of me wearing this jersey and so that is i I have like a very short quote i think in the article but 
um, yeah, that was uh, an article they did back a few years ago. Um, and thankfully, I think that I would say the Burning Bird appearance definitely eclipses that in terms of, of reach. So uh, I, <laughs> breaking breaking new ground in terms of my uh, my ultimate media profile. But not your work profile, right? I mean, you were just featured in a New York Times article and we're on C- uh, CBSN. Can you talk yeah. about that for a minute? Yeah, so I work as a health policy uh, analyst, uh, research coordinator, uh, various kind of titles, um, but not nothing that important at Penn in our Department of Medical Ethics and Health Policy. Uh, my boss, uh, Zeke Emanuel, was a advisor to the Obama administration, formerly worked at the National Institute of Health. Uh, he's a professor at Penn. I took his class and now I'm on his research team. We co-authored a, uh, a New York Times op-ed uh, about President Trump's coronavirus uh returning to normalcy, returning to reopening America again plan uh, that was published uh, in the Times kind of op-ed section about a week and a half ago with a colleague, a colleague of mine named Kathy. And so this article got published. Usually we, we have a very collaborative writing style in the office. So it's a lot of times things that have my boss's name on them. We're, we're, we're heavily editing or even drafting originally and we're all working together. It's rare that we get a chance to be on the byline with uh with him and this was one of those opportunities where our ideas kind of constituted a large pr- proportion of the article so there was kind of room for co-authorship um and so we wrote this article uh it was received i think relatively well there wasn't a lot of i didn't hear a lot about it besides kind of from family and friends who might have seen it uh and i got a notice uh, an email rather from uh, a booking producer at cbsn which is cbs's 24 7 streaming service that's like free you can just log on it's not a it's not a network cable thing and they do basically just a constant like news program, like constant reporting uh, different hosts. And they said, would you be interested in coming on at uh, on, in the one o'clock hour, talking about this article you wrote? And um, long story short is I ended, we ended up kind of agreeing to it. I, I came on for like a five minute segment, wore a suit, uh, put on a webcam in my living room uh, with the prettiest background I could find of a bookcase in the plant and and basically talked with the host about about this article, which was pretty nerve wracking because um, it's live. And so you're kind of you don't want to trip over your own words. You don't want to uh, say something that's going to end your career before it begins. Um, you're worried about the way you look. Like I <laughs> pretty pronounced bags under my eyes that my family was keen on pointing out, which I appreciated. Uh, and I think that it was a fun five minutes. And I, I actually rewatched, I watched it for the first time today uh, because I had been kind of putting it off just to see kind of what I would improve or what, how I did. And, uh, and it was a lot of fun and I, I think I would do it again. And, uh, I've got heard pretty good feedback from family and friends and from CBS and maybe if, maybe there'll be other opportunities in the future, but that was a, uh, it was certainly new experience for me. That's great. Um, but, uh, I hope it, I hope it helps your career. Yeah. Fingers crossed. <laughs> hey, Chad, what do you got, buddy? Oh man. Well, first of all, I'd like to say you earlier commented on, how you find it difficult talking about Colin Messino because you feel like he's slightly better than you are at the things that you pride yourself in. And Wait, I go, kind of, what? Oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I've got, I've got more about that. Oh, oh, well, I kind of feel the same way about you that I, I like, we were at Jeff and Christina's house and I started playing the piano and you were like, Oh cool. You play the piano. What do you play? And I like played a song. Okay. And you're like, that's pretty cool. Let me try something. And then you played another song really well. And then you were like, Oh, I mean, it's it's no big deal. You're too humble. Like you're very impressive, and uh, uh, I, you, you're being very friendly. No, <laughs> I know just I know just enough of everything to make it seem like I know a lot. Like I, people are like, oh, you bake bread. It's like I bake one bread recipe. I've done it enough times <laughs> and failed enough times that I, I, it is good now, and I eat it a lot, and I make it a lot. I have it on hand often. But it's not like 
Like I'm definitely an, I embrace the kind of amateurism idea. It's like, I, as much as I am constantly trying to kind of get better at ultimate to the point where I can, like, there's a seal, I'm trying to push the ceiling, chase the ceiling when it comes to a lot of other things, especially, uh, bread photography, like those things are like, I, I have a hard time making money from them. I've never really tried honestly for most of them or piano. And I, I just kind of want to be able to do them and enjoy myself and kind of get a little better, uh, and, and do it like that. But it's funny because Colin, like he is, he can really play the piano. Like I, I don't think I would describe myself on a re- I would never list piano as a skill on a resume. Not that you ever need to, I guess. I'm not sure what jobs you're applying to with that, but you, you know what I mean? Like I would never put it down. I think Colin can put it down. But what the point about Colin though is interesting is that Colin is the first person ever in the history of the Philadelphia Open Club program to play for Adelphos and to play for Patrol. And we talked about, not Colin and I, but like the Patrol, the pop leadership for years about like, like wow, like once Adelphos became a thing, like who's gonna be the first player to go through the ranks? And the, 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 the front running candidate for a while was Dylan Smith, uh, who is an incredibly talented player and has pl- played on Citywide the last two seasons. But so Colin skipped Citywide. Colin never played Citywide. He played at, they played at Delphos, he played Garden State, I believe the following year, and then he played Patrol this past year, so his first year. And so I, I say that Colin is, is, is kind of has me beat on all of these kind of things. I have played Citywide for, I think, five, this is was my fifth year was this past year, like half a decade. Like I am, I'm toiling at the Citywide level and Colin is just, his star could not be brighter. So I, I'm very happy for Colin, uh, but he is, he is an incredibly talented player. Uh, but again, I don't want him to improve his throwing. I think that's going to crowd me out of a job. <laughs> okay. Well, now if I see him, I'll like, you know, trick him or I'll slap the disc out of his hand. I'll hand yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. Uh, not that I have seen him at all, ever. I haven't seen anybody. Have you picked up any new skills since you've been quarantined? Just one. We, uh, I have a dartboard that I've had lying around uh, since my – I lived at the Frisbee house, actually, since I lived at the Frisbee house at Penn, um, and needed something to keep my mind occupied about a month ago uh, for the quarantine. It was kind of just getting started. And so what we did was I had a lot of wood lying around from a different project and basically built a rig that puts the dartboard at the correct height and doesn't mount it to the wall because I'm afraid of losing my security deposit. And uh, and so we, in the basement now, have a, a dartboard rig that is basically a piece of wood with a bit platform, and the dartboard is on it. And then behind it is a rug that I've had in the back of my car for about uh, 10 years, uh, like a big kind of tapestry to catch stray darts. And now we can play darts in my basement. So I, every time I go upstairs or come downstairs, it's very easy to just grab a few darts and kind of get the form down and keep getting better and so I'm trying to get better at darts. Maybe I'll join a beer league at some point. Sure. Darts is a good social distancing activity, too. I mean, obviously, if you're doing it in a league, it's more difficult. But you can just videotape yourself playing darts, and someone else can videotape themselves playing darts. I never never thought about it like that. That's a very good point. Yeah. But, yeah, I love any 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 sport that is, uh, like, isolated. Like, I guess tennis is with, with someone else, a partner, obviously. But uh, golf especially. Like, golf is on the long horizon of – once everything is over, I'm going to get good at golf or at least get good enough to play with like friends and family. Yeah. You mentioned on the spirit of the Phoenix questionnaire that Tiger Woods was your favorite athlete. It was just surprising because, you know, no one else is looking at golf for athletes. Yeah. I, so Tiger Woods, um, I, I grew up uh, pretty close to a, a, a big golf course outside of Philly, but never played like until I was like, had an opportunity to kind of just start learning it. Um, but I've never played on that course, never played on any, like I'm not a golfer at all. Um, but I watched a lot of golf growing up with my dad. I still watch a fair amount of golf. And I said, I think in college when Tiger Woods was basically the absolute bottom of the, like his, his, the curve, he was all the way at the bottom. He had been at the pinnacle 
and got injured and then divorced and all of these things. I remember thinking to myself, everyone's counting him out of, of winning another major and said to a friend of mine at the time, like, if he won another major, can you imagine what that experience, that moment would be like from a, just a, a, a narrative perspective? And funny enough, when he won the Masters uh, this past uh, Masters tournament, I was actually at a bar after a, a Frisbee event with other players and watched it on TV. And it was just like I was right back in my living room as a kid. And it was uh, it was a very satisfying moment to kind of see him return to the, the pinnacle of the sport. And I think that someone that can be successful when they are both young and when they are old and kind of in between and kind of just and, and take hits and kind of come back and be good and really just not even be good, but be the best is it's so impressive to me. And I think especially considering the fact that the game has changed so much. I mean, he changed the game. He's now competing against people that he inspired to play, uh, which is crazy. But the fact that he can beat them is is unbelievable. And I think that it's a testament to his competitive drive and his ability and work ethic. And I, I just am so impressed by by him as a person. Um, and I think that all like kind of the warts aside and kind of the things that went wrong aside, I think it's a great American kind of success story. We all have warts there, Connor. I don't have warts. I'm work free. I, I have work free on myself to make sure. My work, work, work. That's quite good. I'm having trouble saying the word work. 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 W-A-R-T, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no. You, you said it fine. It was me that was having the, the struggle. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. It's been a pleasure kind of catching up. I uh, I do miss talking to Ultimate Shop, uh, and I'm looking forward to kind of getting back to the game, being a central kind of focus of my life, because right now it's very much, it's it's it, the routine is hard to, it's not there. Like, we practice so often. We play pickup when we don't practice. We play leagues when we don't play pickup. Like, it's there's, you're, there's constantly opportunities to play, and now I'm in this life where it's, I have to really go actively decide to go drive somewhere and throw with my roommate. I live with I live with Greg Moeller. I'm not sure he mentioned that on his his five minutes of Burning Bird glory, but yeah, he's upstairs right now, and uh, we'll probably go throw after this. Actually, that's super lucky. I wish I lived with a thrower, frisbee thrower. <laughs> I mean, Greg is not much of a thrower, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, well. Connor, thank you for joining us again. You've been an excellent guest. We really appreciate you coming on with us. For Alexander Shaggy Shragus, for Connor Boyle, I'm Steve Liner. We'll be right back. Coats is the mineral sunscreen that's so simple, the ingredients are in the name. Coats stands for contains only titanium and zinc, which means no preservatives and no chemical sunscreen filters on your skin. Visit cotzskincare.com to learn more about healthy sun protection and to get your supply of Coats sunscreen today. Welcome back, Phoenix fans, to another segment of The Burning Bird. I'm Steve Leinert, and I'm joined by... Everyone's favorite Phoenix personality, Alexander Shaggy Stragus. Shaggy, thanks for coming back. Thank you so much. I'm honored, uh, you know, I, humble in my great achievements. That's how I feel. I couldn't be more happy and proud and honored to have you as my podcast co-host. Thank you. Everything I am in Philadelphia, I owe to you. So you should just take credit for it all. <laughs> Please stop it. That's absolutely not true at all. I'm not taking responsibility for any of this. 
(laughs) (laughs) We are joined in this segment by new Phoenix player, Matt Ellis. Matt, thanks for joining us on the Burning Bird. My pleasure. You're a rookie on the Phoenix, but you're not a rookie to the AUDL. You uh, played for the Flyers in 2018. Can you talk about what it was like to play for Raleigh? Playing Raleigh's fun. The way Ultimate is treated in North Carolina is a lot not more serious, but it kind of envelops people in the triangle a lot more. So the ambiance of Flyers games and things like that, I, again, don't have any baseline for comparison in Philly, but um, it seems to be the uh, the community around it is really fun. Are you an O-line guy at heart? Yeah, for sure. That's pretty much all I did in college. All right. Is, 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 is that something that you've developed over the years? Is that something that just came natural to you? I guess natural. The unfortunate thing is I kind of had to start playing offense because of how injured I got, and being reactive on defense is really hard when your feet are broken. So being able to control your own movements and things, being able to cut like off of your choice foot is a lot more easy to manage than trying to play defense, unfortunately. But as soon as I started doing that for two or three years, you get, get the ins and outs of it. And you, you just talked about your broken feet. What happened there, and and and, <laughs> and what? How did it impact your ultimate career? So I've actually broken both of my fifth metatarsals on each foot. Uh, called a Jones fracture, which is apparently just some sort of deficient bone structure that I have just personally, just an overuse thing where you can just kind of it just kind of deteriorates over time, and then eventually it just kind of snaps. Um, so I've had a screw put into the outside of both of my feet. Um, the first one was in the national championship of college 2017, and the other one was like two practices into my 2019 patrol season. Coming back, I missed most of the fall of my sophomore year of college and then most of the summer of 2019, but that's been about it. Coming back, starting on the Phoenix, I like – was a little bit hurt for the trial and things like that, where I wasn't super happy with my performance, but I'm glad they're giving me a shot. Are you nervous going out there with the injury history that you have, or, or are you just letting it fly? Um, I was the first time, because it just kind of feels a little bit different now that there's you know metal in your feet instead of bones, but I recovered super well from the first one, so getting back into this one, it's not like a nervous thing, it's just kind of a impatient thing where you just need to regain the strength eventually. All right. Well, you're uh, from the area, essentially. You're a Lansdale guy. Um, Correct. You're from uh, a little bit up the old, uh, the, what's, what's that, the northeast extension there from Philadelphia. So not too far, but far enough where you're you're out in the sticks a little bit. Uh, yeah. You, you, went, you went to Methacton. You played under Seth Graham. What was that like? That's a great guy. Unfortunately, I was part of the, the teams that kind of sent him out when he started picking up a job in Philly and things like that, but he was one of the best coaches to come to tournaments for us because he was inspirational. He was friendly. Um, he knew a lot about what he was talking about. So definitely a lot of my early development is due to Seth. You started playing as a freshman in high school, right? So you got all four years in there. Um, yeah, I started playing in the spring semester of my freshman year um, and pretty much only played in springs because I was also playing soccer in the falls at the time. I was going to say, what made you go out for the ultimate teams? So my older brother, Kevin, was the first person in our family to kind of set the ball rolling. He invited me out to, my, to the first practice after soccer season was over. And uh, I actually didn't 
super enjoyed at the beginning. I almost quit after my first practice because I don't know why I just wasn't feeling it at the time. But one of the captains, I'm pretty sure it was Mike Alexander, came up to me and was like, you got to come to at least one tournament because as soon as you get there, like, the environment is just unforgettable. So I went to my first one. It was the first spring tournament at uh, Edgeley Ballfields. I think that's a pretty common Philly thing. And then just had a really good time. I started on JV, and then in the first game, I got a Callahan and threw a greatest to take half, and I moved up to varsity immediately and never looked back. <laughs> Did they move you up right after that game? or, or Yeah. They... <laughs> this, guy, this guy's varsity material. Move him up. <laughs> What's it happens um, when you get a greatest? So then you went to the uh, you 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 ended up trying out and making Devil and you had quite a run with them. Can you talk about your Devil experience? For sure. I also owe that to an old captain of mine, Mike Alexander. He was the first one from Adaptin to kind of go outside of YCCs. Um, started trying out for Delaware, and I was gonna play with him for the first year, but he ended up tearing his labrum. So I kind of I took his number and kind of played for him that season and. That was the season where, oh, actually, the first season on Devil was when they had that terrible YCC format where they only had four pools, and then the winner of each pool went to semi straight up. So if you were in a pool with, like, Triforce or whatever the other good teams were, you kind of had no chance. And we were, I think, the 16 seed because they didn't do super well last year. And the game for the pool was, like, one of the most unspirited games I've ever been a part of versus Atlanta, and we ended up losing on some trash. So we were feeling pretty angry going into the next year where they had a much better format, and then we kind of just rolled through everything in pool play. And then for 2017, we made it to the finals by beating the number one seed, Boston, in quarters, and then Minnesota in semis, and then lost a rough game to Triforce in the final. And then, again, once they made that rule, I was the last, like, age group to be grandfathered into – being able to play after you start college. So me and my college teammate, Connor Russell, were about to play for 2017, or not 2018, I guess, at that point, Devil, which would have been kind of crazy, um, after coming off of college national champion championship attendance. So that was fun. But, again, injury kind of held that short. Well, uh, North Carolina seems to be entrenched in your ultimate history. Not only did Triforce beat you in that final, at YCCs, but then you went to UNCW. Uh, what was it like? Like, what made a guy from Lansdale want to go down to North Carolina, Wilmington, and play for the Seamen? So my sister eventually moved to Raleigh in my junior year of high school, and that's kind of where I was about in the process of looking at schools and stuff. So I went to visit her in her new apartment, and then just as we were down there, just figured we'd go visit schools and stuff. So I visited. Wilmington really liked it reached out to one of the captains and they invited me to a practice and it just kind of stuck as like every other place I went to just didn't really compare and it was just kind of the baseline that never got overtaken so it was, as soon as I went it was pretty much my first choice as soon as I got accepted I probably less than a week later enrolled I feel like you just admitted to some recruiting violations attending practices before you were enrolled I'm not sure I think no, no, Shaggy, that's fine. It's fine. Yeah, nothing, <laughs> is that not allowed? UNCW would never do anything nefarious, Shaggy. Never. I don't know. Is that not allowed? I wouldn't have done. But well, it's allowed, in, it's allowed in Ultimate uh, because Ultimate's uh, not governed by anything. But it's like in a big NCAA deal. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I know the deal with soccer. Again, up until my senior year, I was pretty sure I was going to go to school for soccer and then eventually just kind of made the switch. Did you ever visit East Carolina University while you were down there? I actually did, yeah. You did. Now, I'm shocked you wouldn't go to ECU and play for such a storied program like the Irates. So I actually had, like, a relatively unfortunate experience that kind of just turned me off from ECU immediately. Like, oh, I signed up. It wasn't like anything that any person did or anything. I signed up for a tour, and then the directions that they gave me for where the tour started didn't exist, and then there wasn't parking anywhere, and I kind of just ended up walking around by myself. I was just in a bad mood the whole time, so it never really made a good impression on me. I actually went to East Carolina and played for the Irates for and won two titles. Won two college national championships with the uh, with the Irates, and uh, very fortunate to be a member of that particular program. So we have something in common uh, in, in the fact that you, we, we both played in a national college final, and you you also had the distinct pleasure of running into my former teammate, Mike Garrick. That I did, yeah. <laughs> He's quite a character. I'm, I'm, I'm Absolutely. <laughs> He'll tell you exactly what's on his mind without hesitation, that's for sure. Definitely. Okay. So when you tried out for the Flyers, was it was it because you were living down there in Raleigh or around your sister or maybe even with your sister at the time? So that semester I was in Wilmington, and I just kind of made, like, weekly weekend trips up to Raleigh to see some of my friends who go to state and then also my sister who lived there. Um, and for the Raleigh trial, actually, I didn't even intend on doing it the first time. So I just went to watch a bunch of my friends. My brother-in-law was trying out. A couple of my friends from Wilmington and Raleigh were also trying out, so I was kind of sitting in the stands watching. And then in the middle of the trial, like after the combine, Noah Saul and Dad Williams came up to the bleachers where I was sitting. It was like, hey, you should come out tomorrow and kind of like show us what's going on. So I went out on Sunday, played like relatively well, I guess. And then I got a contract offer like two weeks later sitting in my house in Wilmington. Those are two big players down there. Um... Noah Saul and Jack Williams, I was happy to see Raleigh have the success they had in the past, and I'm looking forward to the Phoenix having success against Raleigh in the future. Are you looking forward to playing down there in Raleigh in a Phoenix? Oh, I'm extremely excited that they're in our division. I still have so many friends in the area, and we've been answering a little bit about how the season's going to go. Hopefully we get a couple matchups with them before it's over. How do you think your AUDL experience is going to play, being like having your second full season in the league? It's just very different. Like I realized in my first season that it's just not really at all similar to USAU Ultimate, where the spacing is different, how to play defense is different, where you can throw is different. The experience itself is just kind of how you learn. Like once your sample size gets bigger of what works, what doesn't work. Like I've always been the type of player that kind of makes a ton of mistakes until you find out what isn't a mistake. It's kind of how I've always played ultimate, so I'll lead the team in turnovers for a little bit and then towards the end of the season start playing a little bit better. Again, I'm throwing this to my turnovers on Raleigh. I hope we're going to see what's different. Again, trying to learn the new systems and things like that is different because North Carolina and Philly treat ultimate a little bit differently. Um, so you're going to be able to assimilate into that. It's probably going to be my hardest struggle rather than kind of learn the, the ways of the league. Can you articulate what the biggest difference is between Philadelphia ultimate and North Carolina ultimate? It's the play styles, for sure. People take it seriously. We have the same amount of, of, I would say, athletes and skill and things like that. It's just kind of the way people handed different things. It's like different systems. It's like having one team be the Patriots and the other team be like the Buccaneers or something like that. 
just kind of the Tom Brady reference there where you can be a system quarterback for a little bit or you can be someone who just kind of goes buck wild. Um, so North Carolina lets you do that a lot if you're in the eastern part of it. And then if you're in the central part of it, everyone just kind of does the same thing. And then Philly is kind of trying to find its way around um, using everyone as a whole, which is fun. Are you a fan of Bojangles? Oh, absolutely. Thank you. My word. Bojangles is, in Bojangles right. is good. All right. I'm yeah. a Bowberry I'm a Bowberry biscuit man myself. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the, the biggest differences moving down from or moving us back up from North Carolina to here. The food options, unfortunately, I would say are worse. I'm a big cookout guy myself too. Oh man, uh, the uh, barbecue down there in the North Carolina treated me very well. And I've I've nothing but fond things and fond memories of uh to, to say and and to think about that my experience down there. And uh I'm sure you are the uh I'm sure you are the same. So uh Shag, what do you got there, buddy? So Matt, you were I mean I didn't know you at the time, but you're uh part of one of my favorite ultimate clips from the season that you played. And it was funny when I was doing research for you that I got to found it find it. Um, and I just wanted to hear you talk about this play because I really enjoyed it when it happened. I was watching a game between Raleigh and Madison, and you walk up to the disc and you just jack a hammer like a quarter of the field uh, over. No. <laughs> there was no fear. It was over the head of um, Kevin Pennett Stantling, you know, one of the most fiercest defenders in the league. Do you remember that happening, or did you? Uh... Oh, absolutely, yeah. I got a lot of trash for that. <laughs> really? Why? It was awesome. Oh, it was terrible. It was such a bad decision. So my, my excuse for it at the time was, first off, it was the Hunter Taylor, so one of the best athletes in the division. And as soon as he starts yelling at you, like, that's a scary guy. Like, he holds his hand up and starts running deep. That's kind of something you got to do, and it was the only throw I had in that range because there was – I think it got close to me on the right, so I couldn't, or on the left, so I couldn't get around the backhand. And I was looking directly into the sun. So my excuse was that I just really didn't see a defender in his way. So I thought I was just going to place it right in the – back of the end zone and it would be fine, but he ended up making just a ridiculous catch. Uh which is exciting because that game, like from the start of it, we just kinda of rolled them in the entirety of it. Um so just being able to make plays on bad decisions was really fun. Um <laughs> yeah, as I was talking about earlier, like I was just always that stupid kid that just like figured out what works. So earlier in the season that was one of our first away games that I played and I was kinda too impulsive for sure, but it ended up being fun. Who gave you a hard time? Uh, Mike, the artist for sure, knew it was a bad idea. Noah came up to me immediately and was like, yeah, we don't really do that here. And he was excited. Like, I don't know. The energy boost was good. If it would have been a turnover, I would have probably been benched for sure. <laughs> well, look, now you can text Noah and be like, look, I, I got some uh, I got some good feedback about that play. <laughs> hey, did Denardis ever hold a grudge against you after your team knocked his team out of college national semi? No. Oh, come on, was- give me Give me it was, it was, it was um, <laughs> clearly one of the craziest games in college ultimate history. I don't know. I wasn't super pivotal in it, so I don't think he disliked me. And Jack's too good for Mike to hate because then he won't play it for bring a fire. He's too big to fail at this point. Yeah, I feel like if he could forgive Jack, he could forgive anyone. You know? yeah. What do you remember about that experience? That was the only Nationals I ever went to. As a Yeah, that was the only Nationals I ever made as a player. Um that game specifically or, like, the whole thing? Either. <laughs> the build-up to it was just something I was looking forward to for a while. It was one of the reasons I went to Wilmington to, like, play at the biggest level you can. And 
as soon as we won regionals, like, we kind of walked through it, and that wasn't something I thought would be different in the following years. So I definitely didn't, like, appreciate it as much as I thought. I thought, like, making nationals was the easy part, and then doing well there was the hard part. And then, again, we fizzled out our regionals a couple of years later. So, again, didn't appreciate it as much as I could. But as soon as we started, like, seeing potential seeds and things like that, um, we were like, yeah, this is a great path for us. We had one of the weaker two seeds in a pool, and then we had a Pittsburgh matchup, which we were obviously super excited for to go into nationals. So pool play went super well. I played one of the better games of my life against Pittsburgh and then got a bye through pre-quarters. Quarterfinals was against Washington, which, again, was relatively easy. And then semis came in. We had the late game. Uh, so we watched a crazy game between Carlton and UMass um, go down to Universe Point, and we, like, again, didn't know if we were even going to be playing either of them before going into the game. Um, and then you walk into that game, and it's already dark. You've never been like this before. I've never played either under the lights or in a stadium before, like a stadium that big, or Frisbee at least. I've played a lot of soccer in that same uh, situation, which I think helps for sure. In games previous, we lose four players. So Grayson goes down, Danny gets hurt, Jody didn't even start, and then Austin McGrain, our other captain, got hurt in quarters. So before the game even starts, the coaches come up to me and some of the other like younger people on the team, and they're like, you got to step up like a ton because you're probably going to have to play both ways, and obviously this is the biggest game of your life. So it's like, all right, great, no pressure going in. And then, yeah, the game just kind of rolls. I don't know, once you get kind of – involved in the game, it's really hard to remember what you were feeling at that point. Um, the only thing I can remember is, like, watching the film a couple of times and, like, trying to re-relate the information, but I definitely don't have, like, a direct memory of it. I think Jack says at the end, like, you just kind of black out for a little bit. You got to get into your instincts at that point. It was, like, almost no more thinking. You spent your entire season preparing for something like that. But, like, if you hadn't done that, you're screwed. Or it's not something you can, like, in the moment kind of build up. You just kind of have to be ready for it. Sure. I'll pretend like I know what you're talking about. I have no idea, but <laughs> I do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Afterwards, it's just like a ridiculous sense of euphoria. But I felt it after the Pittsburgh game where I didn't even play in the next game because I was just kind of like in a strange high. And also, the Michigan threw the game against us like on purpose so they would get better pre-quarter matchup. So I rarely even played in that game. And then after our uh, semi game ended at like midnight, and we had a final like, a national final to play at five, and I still, I didn't sleep the entire night. I watched the game on ESPN 3 or whatever it was, like, four or five times with a bunch of people in my hotel bedroom. And then as soon as they left, I was just kind of sitting up, probably watching a couple more times on my laptop, and then just kind of watch Carlton film, try to work on the next game, because you just get super amped. I'm like, your adrenaline doesn't die down till I don't know, it's over. 1994 and 1995 were a lot different, because I wasn't sitting <laughs> in my hotel room. I wasn't watching ESPN three. Oh yeah, I was. You know what I mean. Although we did have the uh, I didn't sleep the night before deal going on. I'll I'll say that. But there was like uh, we didn't get a chance to look at film or anything like that. We had to go on reputation and what other teams <laughs> told us. And you yeah. had to make you had to, it was almost like Survivor where you had to make friends with on teams that you just eliminated, and uh, and you got to get some intel from other teams in order for you to, to prepare to play these uh mm-hmm. these big games and uh, it was it was a it was a different time for sure. Were you surprised when I told you I went to ECU? That was either that was my second guess. Um, 
when you said Pittsburgh, like I, it's not since I played it was not a rivalry. No, I know. No, it's yeah. an accident. Yeah, I get it. It's a rivalry with it's a rivalry with your J V team and that bothers let me tell you how that bothers the f out of all of us. Right. It used to be really good. Can I just tell you that, man? Like I, I hate the complacency. Two titles, dude. You won two titles. You won two titles and for one of the titles they left you and the trophy at the field. You had to hitchhike your way back to the hotel. I've got stories after we won, my man, that uh let me tell you, winning winning was nice. Yeah, I'm that. That was an experience for sure. <laughs> like that, that Carlton team that won definitely didn't take advantage of it, I believe, because they seem a little weird. Like, Realistically, I don't think they. They're never gonna admit it, but they know they got lucky. We we partied so hard at the uh, Baton. Our our tournament was down at LSU. Um, oh wow! And uh, so we were in Baton Rouge, and we were at the Marriott Hotel, and the USC baseball team was there playing a super regional game for the uh, NCAA championship. And they got beat the next day after that we won. And the uh, USC coach was getting interviewed after the game, after they lost. And he was like, some dadgum Frisbee team partied all night in our hotel and kept us up. And we got no sleep. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it was it was it was totally awesome. We were like, that was us. We were totally cool. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh man, it was something else, man. So, yeah, all right, something else. I'm excited for if it ever happens in my first club nationals. That's gotta be such <laughs> a different thing. No, it is. It, it's like crossing over into the promised land, man. It's like right. you. It's like you made it. Uh, what's it you called? Know? Started playing for ring this summer before I moved home and I was like again expecting a decent season out of that and then as soon as I moved home patrol realistically had a chance again too um and I, I couldn't play it in any way because like I said like my second practice and I broke my foot again I was like oh great this again patrol is a tough path because they're going to be for the foreseeable future the third team in the region so they either have to do really well and snag a third bid which is tough or they need to upset Temper, um, which is doable. I think temper is. There's one. Then. Oh, never mind. Uh, Truck, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not that. <laughs> I forgot they were gonna because they didn't go to what the call section or And then obviously we didn't like face them. I don't know. I like our chances against temper pretty often, realistically. Um, sure. I just like I just like beating up on history people. <laughs> Uh, it's kind of in my being. Ever since I played in high school, like, I pretty much just always hated all the people from Pittsburgh. Did you ever get a chance to uh, go at it with Hannah on the team? Or has have there been so few practices that you never got to go into? I'm not sure I've actually ever played against him. I've played at the same tournaments as him, um, so I've seen him a couple times. But I don't think I've ever played against him. This is a real case of the enemy versus the enemy is my friend type of deal. Oh, yeah, so, sure. I get along with Hannah super well, and it's really funny. Yeah, um, and, and Hannah hates Carlton too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> how can they not? I can understand the rivalry a ton. They're just super, super different programs and different people at that point. They yeah. can't really respect the other end of it. <laughs> but the worst spirited and just like quality of the games I've ever played that just like made me hate the sport were against the Pittsburgh teams. Like, there are some people on Alderdice that I would never get along with. Well, what's his name? I don't know if That's what it was. He went to a Hampton, Hampton, something like that, some Pittsburgh high school. Hampton. Um, Hampton? Hampton. 
Yeah, so I played against him my freshman year of high school um, at State. And, was again, this is super brutal, man. So that wasn't a great year for him, in fact, in any way. Um, but, yeah, that was a tough loss. Yeah, <laughs> again, just never really had a great experience against him. And then it just kind of carried over into college where definitely, like, honest. It wasn't as, like, mean straight up as some of the high school people were, but just going in, I just had this crazy vendetta. I was like, I don't like anything about this break. Sure. Well, and you said Atlanta, right, in that uh, devil game? Oh, my goodness. I didn't want to get into it. That was the worst game I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I said, because, like I said, the YC, that YCC format was terrible. So you had to win your pool, which is ridiculous. <laughs> um, sure. And, yeah, they were, like, situated. Do you guys remember Christian Duas? He was one of the Pensbury dudes. He was, like, a dog. Probably that Pensbury team. That from 2015-16 was insane. Um, Who's that? Who's that? They've had a million good people. Uh, Mac Rushing with the world's team, Christian Duas, Cole Drummond, Colby Gordon. Like, they're all so good. Yeah, Cole Drummond is amazing. Yeah, so, yeah, that was – they pretty much took over that entire game, and they were way too dominant for these Atlanta people. So, pretty much every time they just would go in there, they, like, actually tackled the people on our team where they had some of the, like, officials at the tournament, like, force us to go into a spirit circle and be like, hey, this is not okay. Uh, this is not how the sport works, and you're going to get, like, thrown out, essentially. Um, and they, we had, like, the entire, like, tournament backing us the whole time, and it was just, like, you could follow the Ulti World's Twitter and be like, another terrible call screws the devil out of a point, and it's just like, we won by, or we lost by, like, two. It was something ridiculous, and it was just, Back to back to back, we just like couldn't score because there'd be fouls everywhere, and it it was it was frustrating for sure. Yeah, I can imagine. All right, well, for Alexander Shaggy Shragan, for Matt Ellis, I'm Steve Leinert. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Burning Bird. <laughs>